Good morning. The reading is from Ephesians 6, uh, verses 10 to 20. That can be found on page 1177. That's page 1177 in the Red Church Bible. Starting at verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled round your waist, and with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert. And keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me, that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in, in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. This is the word of God. Okay, good morning, everyone. It's good to be preaching again and preaching on the final uh, talk of the prayer course series. I hope you found the course really helpful. I certainly have, and today we're thinking about warfare. I thought I'd start by just getting you to uh, think for a moment, though, maybe turn to your neighbor and just share what most motivates you to pray, okay? So 30 seconds, why don't you just share your answer, top of the head answer with your neighbor. So I wonder what you came up with. Maybe it was because of your relationship with God. It's just a natural thing to want to talk to him. That's obviously a really encouraging answer to give. Maybe it was because he deserves it. He deserves our praise and worship. Maybe it's because there are things we want to ask him for. Maybe it's because there are things that we want to pray for for other people. Maybe it's because it pleases him. And we know that. Maybe it's because it pleases us. It lifts us. It comforts us. It strengthens us. Maybe it's because we want to hear from him. And we thought about that last week, didn't we? But I wonder if any of you came up with this reason. Because we're in a war. Anyone think of that? I'm not surprised. It's 
definitely a, a way of thinking about the Christian life that we rarely actually engage with. And um, I think I could best describe it as being uh, like the scenario unpacked in this particular book. It's just going to be on the screen. I don't know if you've read it. Dominion by C.J. Sansom. I read it about a year and a half ago. It's fantastic. But it's set on the premise that um, the Nazis basically won the, the Battle of Britain rather than lost it, which if you, if you followed uh, the history of that period, you'll know could easily have happened. And it's all about what happens 10 years later as a puppet government in England uh, imposes the will of the Nazis on the British people. And it creates a crisis of conscience for every single person in the country where they have to choose between colluding with the enemy and keeping their head down and swallowing their principles or joining the resistance and facing a daily threat to their life. Does it sound far-fetched? Actually, it could easily have happened. And um, it's the scenario I can best think of in this country that equates to the situation facing Christians in Libya, Syria, and Iraq today. I don't know if you found yourself feeling sick when you heard the news uh, from what happened to those 21 Egyptian Christians. Why? Well, it was obviously the unprovoked brutality. It was the methods used. But I think most of all, it was because... They were murdered not because uh, they were Egyptian, not because they were uh, from a hostile nation. There was no hostility from Egypt to IS uh, at that time, but rather because they were Christian. And it signaled essentially a war, it seems, on followers of Jesus. In short, the sort of nightmare scenario that the book of Revelation describes. How must it feel to be a Christian in Libya, or Syria, or um, Iraq right now? Would you pray regularly if you were there? I bet, of course you would. Absolutely. Every one of us. And yet here's the thing, which is the foundation of what I want to talk about this morning. That actually, spiritually speaking, the situation we're in is very much the same. If we doubted it before, surely last week's events uh, provide all the evidence we need that there is evil in this world, that there is an active agent of evil, what the Bible calls the devil. And the clear implication of what we read in the Bible is that he spends most of his activity actually not orchestrating terrorism or hostage-taking in the Middle East, effective though that might be for his purposes, but rather in trying to undermine the faith and neutralize the impact of hundreds of millions of Christians like us, living far away from IS and its territories, not directly being persecuted. And yet he is attacking us and keeping billions of others in unbelief as well. Am I exaggerating? Well, when you look at the New Testament and what it says about the devil, I don't think I am. Here are just a few examples. The parable of the sower talks about how the devil comes and takes away the seed of the Word of God from people's hearts. 1 Peter 5 talks about how he's like a lion prowling around looking for someone to devour. Ephesians 4 talks about not giving the devil a foothold. 2 Timothy 2 talks about rescuing people from the trap of the devil who takes them captive to do his will. I could go on and on and on. And the implication seems to be too from the Bible, that the moment we become a Christian, 
the opposition of the, Bible, of the devil increases. And when we're engaged in leading others to faith, well then, he certainly attacks us and attacks us with a vengeance. Maybe you've experienced that yourself. And certainly everyone I've spoken to who is engaged in that kind of warfare of pushing back the frontiers of the devil's kingdom and increasing the kingdom of Christ, they know this. The devil attacks us. He hates it. And what he most wants more than anything else is for us to opt out of the battle. He wants us off the pitch, opting out. And how does he do it? By convincing us that he doesn't exist, or if he can't manage that, by convincing us that it doesn't matter whether we fight or not, or that it's too hard with too much discouragement, or that somehow it's fanatical or obsessive or unhealthy, rather than the very purpose for which we've been saved. What I want us all to grasp here this morning is that we are in a battle, that it's serious. And actually, there are things that God expects of us, and there are things and ways we need to pray, reflecting this reality that we all live in today. So, let's go to the passage that we heard read, Ephesians 6, and let's just find out what expectations from that passage God has of us as Christians, if we are Christians here today, living in a situation of spiritual battle. And let's identify how we can and should pray in response to that. So, uh, the first four verses, I think, make crystal clear what God expects of us because it's just repeated time and time again. Verse 10, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Verse 11, so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Verse 13, so you might be able to stand your ground. Verse 14, stand firm then. Put it all together. What have you got? Have we got God saying, just put your feet up and leave it to the professionals? Of course we don't. Rather, the image there is that we've all been conscripted and that we've all got a vital part to play as we stand our ground and seek his strength to represent the interests of his kingdom here on earth. So how do we do it? Well, there's not time to go into detail about the armor of God, but what I want us to note is that it it highlights the essential elements that we need in our lives if we're going to stand firm and engage in the spiritual battle. And uh, each of those parts of the armor just capture an element of that. Some of them are defensive, like holding on to truth. So we remind ourselves of what we're doing and why. Um, Godly character, that's the breastplate of righteousness. Integrity is vital. There's the shield of faith that allows us to ride the discouragements as we trust that God is at work. There's the helmet of salvation, which I think is the assurance of Jesus' ultimate victory and our inheritance with him, giving us comfort and hope. All of those things we need if we're to stand firm. And then offensively, it's that eagerness to share our faith. That's the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace that it talks about. There's trusting in God's promises and praying into them. That's what I think this sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, refers to. And then finally, it's through all kinds of other prayers, what verses 18 to 20 talk about. And that's 
uh, where we can go for this final thing, this final question we're considering this morning. How should we pray? So I've got four pointers that I just want to give us as we think about what prayer means in a spiritual battle. And the first of them is this, that we need to pray for God's priorities, not our own. And um, I don't know if you've ever thought about why the Lord's Prayer is the or- in the order that it is. And we've been focusing on the Lord's Prayer in the prayer course this term. And it's interesting that first comes your will be done and your kingdom come before give us this day our daily bread. What do we learn from that? It's that first of all, we need to put first the kingdom, God's will, and then within those parameters, then seek for him to meet all our needs. It's the same reason that Jesus talked about, don't worry about what you'll wear, what you'll eat, where you'll live. Seek first the kingdom, and then all these things will be given to you. There's a hierarchy here, and yet it's so different to the one that we naturally settle upon. We like to hang on to God's promise to give us the desires of our heart, and that's a great and wonderful promise. And yet we've got to remember he also calls us to make our desires, our heart, his own. Who does God commend? It's men and women who are after his own heart, who long for and pray for what he wants. And if you want to have answers to prayer in your life, if you want to know that sense every day of the anointing of God, what you need to do is to pray for and to long for what he is doing in this world. Make that your prayer. Pray for the kingdom. And then you will know great power in all that you pray. So that's the first pointer. The second one is related, and it's this. We should pray in the Spirit, not just some of the time, but on all occasions in all sorts of ways. Now, what does that mean? I don't know how you interpret it, but for me, it means pray as you are led and ask God to lead your prayers as you go through life. Now, that might be expressed in words. It might be expressed in tongues. Um, Many people take that phrase to also allude to that. But either way, I think the point is that if you pray for what God is prompting you to pray for, he's very likely to answer it. And that is very likely to come to pass. I remember one of the more unusual experiences of my life um, when I was at university, first time around. I woke up early in the early hours of the morning and um, with a very strong sense that God was telling me to pray for a particular person who I'd never met, who was a famous person who was quite old, but other than that, I knew nothing, I knew nothing about his situation. And I thought, well, this is odd, but I'm going to pray. I prayed for the salvation of that person and whatever situation he was in, and I went back to sleep. I don't know if you've ever had an experience like that, but what happened when I woke up was truly uh, blew my mind, um, as was uh, my custom in those days. I used to be woken up by the 8 o'clock news, and uh, on it came, and it was announced on the news that the person I had prayed for had died during the night. And I remember thinking, what's going on here? And the conclusion I came to is that if God calls us to pray for something, we need to pray. And we should expect that it's going to be significant. And what I took from that was that my prayer for that person at that time had power. 
And I need to constantly be asking God if there's anything that he wants me to pray for, that he should tell me it, and that I should get on my knees and pray for it there and then. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions. Be looking out for what is God prompting you to pray for? What's going on spiritually in your life, in the life of the church, in the life of those around you, in the life of the nation? Ask God to reveal to you what is happening, what he wants you to pray for, and trust that when you do so, it has significant power and that God is going to do amazing things in response to that. So that's the second thing, praying in the Spirit, praying alert to what God is doing and what God is prompting you about. And here's the third, pray for boldness in witness for you, for others, and for all God's people. I don't know about you, but I was struck by the fact that Paul asked the church in Ephesus to pray for him and for his boldness that whenever he spoke, that the words would be given to him, he would fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. And I take encouragement from that, that if Paul asked them to pray, it must be because he knew that those prayers would work. He knew that that would unlock the power of God in his witness. And surely we should take from that that we should be praying for each other for boldness ourselves too. Testifying to Jesus was pretty scary then, but it's pretty scary today, let's be honest. Even in this country, let alone in in a Muslim uh, society like uh, the people that we've been thinking about this week. But do you pray that for yourself, for boldness? Do you pray for each other for that? Do you pray that for your partner? Do you pray that for your family? Do you pray that for your life group? Do you pray that for your closest friends. What we need to know, guys, is that, yes, Jesus has defeated Satan, and the Bible tells us that, that the powers and authorities were crushed when Jesus died on the cross and rose again. And yes, all things will be made new, and the kingdom will be fully realized one day, and we long and look forward to that. But it doesn't happen automatically now. We have to pray it in. Are we doing that? Are we praying for boldness? Are we praying that what will one day be true completely would be made real here and now? Take confidence from what Jesus has done for you, but make sure that you are praying that God makes it real now and that he gives you and each other the boldness, the anointing, the strength, and the courage, and the words to say that people would be coming into the kingdom now, just as they did then, and that the kingdom of the devil would be pushed back. So that brings us on then to the final point I want to share with us, and that is that we actually have great authority. Do you feel that? Do you feel that you have authority when you're confronted with opposition, when you think about situations like what's going on in Libya and Iraq and Syria. Well, this is what Jesus said. If you ask in my name, 
I will answer it. What does he mean? He says that in many different ways at many different occasions. He means this. If you pray with the authority that I have given you, it shall happen. It shall come to pass. So do we believe we have that authority? Karl Barth, uh, the very famous uh, theologian, uh, put it in a really interesting way. Let me just read uh, what he said. He said, in Christian prayer, we find ourselves at the very seat of government, at the very heart of the mystery and purpose of all occurrence. We're partnering with God in prayer. And when we do that, incredible things happen, and Satan is scared. So let's bring this all back then to where we began. I talked about how the people of Britain um, actually faced great danger in the Second World War. What did they do? If you've heard any stories about that time, uh, what's clear is that the people of Britain prayed like they never had before. They prayed with absolute determination and perseverance. They were terrified. Their very freedoms and existence were at stake, and they were battling against the odds. But from everything I've read, actually there was a deep conviction in the people of faith in this country that surely, ultimately, good would triumph over evil, that they had God on their side, and ultimately, wonderfully, and hugely significantly, even for us today, those, that confidence, those prayers were answered, and evil was defeated. So let's take that example then. Let's take all that we've thought about from Scripture and shine it back in the terrible events that we read about this week. Those Coptic Christians who were so brutally killed. The persecution of going, of going on, that's going on all over the world, actually, for Christians. We just don't hear much about it. So should we stop praying? Should we actually say the battle is lost, particularly in the Middle East, that the, there is no hope for Christians there, that it's irreversible and bleak, that the die is cast? Of course not. And should we stop praying for people coming to faith in secular Britain, even though so many are close to it? Of course we should not. And should we stop praying for healings? Should we stop praying for emotional and spiritual breakthroughs in this country where they're needed? Of course not. And should we stop praying for God to do incredible things in our lives and in our church? Of course not. Yes, we are in a spiritual battle, but we're on the winning side. We've been given the authority of Jesus, and so we should pray. We should pray. And we should pray. Well, I wonder where you're at this morning. Have you been praying with the authority of Jesus? Have you been thinking about your life as a battle? Have you been being realistic about what Satan is up to in your life and trying to neutralize you? in trying to discourage you. Maybe actually you're sitting here this morning thinking that's exactly what he is doing. I just didn't realize it. What we need to do is reconnect with that battle. Reconnect with the reality that actually through us, the kingdom of God can be advanced 
or that we can simply be spectators, allowing Satan to increase his grip on this nation and on those around us and even on ourselves. So I want to call on us all now just to once again offer ourselves to God. We've reached um, the end of our time that we've got here this morning, but I think that it's really important that we simply offer ourselves back to God again, that he would embolden us, that he would empower us, that we would once more see the spiritual realities we're living in and that we would be anointed by his spirit to pray boldly, to witness boldly, and to play the part in that war that each of us has been called to. So shall we stand and let's just ask God to renew in us that commitment to be soldiers of Christ, unfashionable imagery, but clearly biblical, clearly vital. And clearly what God is calling us to in this time of secularization, in this time of persecution, and this time when the devil is active as he is in every generation. So let's take a moment of silence. I want to invite us just to say sorry. If we feel that we've opted out of that battle in any way, let's just say sorry to God silently now. And then when we've done that, I'm going to lead us in an invitation to God to empower us and embolden us once again. So let's say sorry to him now. And so receive that forgiveness which God promises to us. And Father, I want to pray now for every one of us here. Lord, I pray that you would fill us with your spirit once more. And as you do so, would you equip us with boldness and courage. And the willingness and desire and perseverance to pray with your authority. with your kingdom in mind. Would you fill us this morning? Come Holy Spirit.